IRR is tied to time. So if I give you a thousand bucks tomorrow, it's worth more than me giving you a thousand bucks two years from now. So if you can sell for the same price a year early, then technically getting that money now is worth more than getting that money in the future. Real quick, before the episode, I want to give you a gift of 25% off. And that gift actually is from TransUnion Smart Move. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. Because as landlords, we tend to be most concerned with getting paid on time. You might also know that hundreds of thousands of landlords have to deal with the headaches of evicting tenants each year. Evicting a tenant can be painful, costing as much as $10,000 in court costs and legal fees, and take as long as four weeks to complete. What if there's a trusted way to help prevent the headaches of dealing with evicting a tenant? Make the smart move right from the start. Smart Move's online tenant screening solution can help you quickly understand if you're getting a reliable tenant, which will help you avoid potential problems such as non-payment and evictions. For a limited time, listeners of this podcast are invited to try Smart Move tenant screening for 25% off. Here's how Smart Move can help you find your next great tenant. Make a more informed decision with Smart Move's proprietary credit score built specifically for tenant screening, which predicts evictions 15% better than a typical credit score. Reduce non-payment risk with Smart Move's Income Insights Report, which enables you to analyze the applicant's income within minutes and determine if additional income verification is needed. Get critical information quickly with a full credit report, criminal background, and eviction history report. With over 5 million screenings completed, SmartMove can help you make a better leasing decision for your rental property. If you own a rental property, SmartMove can help you identify the right renter from the start so you can avoid the problems of non-payment or evictions. Don't put yourself at risk. Go to TenantScreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. With TransUnion Smart Move, you'll get great reports, great convenience, great tenants. There needed to be a resource on apartment syndication that not only talked about each aspect of the syndication process, but how to actually do each of the things and go into it in detail. And we thought, hey, why not make it free too? That's why we launched Syndication School, and Theo Hicks will go through a particular aspect of apartment syndication on today's episode and get into the details of how to do that particular thing. Enjoy this episode, and for more on apartment syndication and how to do things, go to apartmentsyndication.com or to learn more about the Apartment Syndication School, go to syndicationschool.com so you can listen to all the previous episodes. Hi, best of our listeners. Welcome back to another episode of the Syndication School series, a free resource focused on the how-tos of apartment syndication. As always, I'm your host, Theo Hicks. Each week, we air two podcast episodes that are part of a larger podcast series that focus on a specific aspect of the apartment syndication investment strategy. And for the majority of the series, we offer some sort of documents, resource, spreadsheets, template, something for you to download for free. All of these episodes, all of these free documents can be found at syndicationschool.com. And if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll notice that this is the first time we're doing a video-based Syndication School series. So moving forward, you can watch the Syndication School episodes on YouTube, or you can just listen to the audio on the podcast. So right now, we're in the middle of a eight-part series entitled How to Secure Commitments from Your Passive Investors. 
two more episodes to go today and tomorrow, or if you listen to this in the future, this episode and the one directly after this one. Just to catch you up to speed, so far we've discussed the first three and then part of step four of the overall five-step process for securing commitments from passive investors. So if you haven't done so already, you really need to listen to parts one through six of this eight-part series to get caught up to speed. So far in parts one and two, we discussed step one, which was to create that investment summary, which essentially summarizes the investment, (laughs) hence being called the investment summary. And then in part three, we discussed step two, which is how to create the email introducing the deal to your investor database. So for part one and two, we gave away a free investment summary template to make sure you download that at syndicationschool.com. And then in part three, we gave away a sample email that Joe has sent to his database of investors to introduce that new deal. Then in part four, we went over step three of the five-step process, which is the eight steps to a successful conference call. So I guess we're only on step three right now because we still haven't finished that eight-step process yet. In step four, we went over parts one through five of that. But in part five, we went over six and seven. And in part six, we began to talk about the final step, part eight, to the successful conference call, which is that Q&A. So in this episode, we're going to finish up going over the Q&A session. So there's 30 frequently asked questions that you can expect to receive from your past investors during the Q&A portion of the conference call. And we wanted to provide you with those so that you can make sure that you're adequately prepared to answer those questions. So we got through the first 15 questions in the part six. We're going to get through the next 15 questions of 16 through 30 in this episode. And then we are also going to move on to step five of the five-step process, which is discussing the follow-up. And then tomorrow we're going to finish off the five-step process by discussing the proper documentation you need to send to your investors in order to finalize and, I guess, make their investments actually official when they actually send you money. So let's just jump right back into these Q&A questions. So as a reminder, right now we are in step three, which is where we are presenting our deal to our investors on the conference call. So we have our investment summary created. We've sent the email introducing the deal to our investors, and they have the information that they need to call in to the conference call. And then at this point, I guess you've started your conference call and you're in the Q&A session. So as a reminder, this conference call, the A steps of the conference call is number one, get your mind right. So this is obviously before the call. Make sure that you're you're going in with the, with a serving mindset so that you aren't a ball of nerves and stumble over yourself talking. Step two is to determine your main focus, which should be capital preservation because people are more averse to loss than they are to gain. So we discussed the principle of loss aversion which people have a greater negative feeling when they lose $5 compared to the same positive feeling they get by gaining $5. Probably even gaining 100 bucks. And then we actually dive into the call. So the third part is, is welcome, which is pretty simple. Just a one sentence. Hey, I'm Theo. Welcome to my call. <laughs> Four is to summarize the actual call to discuss what you're going to be talking about on the call, kind of like a table of contents. Five is to introduce yourself and your team. Six is to essentially talk about high level why it's a good deal in a good market managed by a good team. And then you're going to get into the detailed business plan that proves, again, why it's a good deal in a good market managed by a good team. And at that point, you're going to open up the floor to Q&As. 
I've broken the Q&As down into kind of just frequently asked questions that are general and can be asked at any time for any deal. And then the next category, which we'll get to today, are more deal-specific questions, more specific to the type of deal that you're doing or what time of the year it is. Is there an election cycle going on? Things like that. You don't want to just script out your answers. The idea is to go through these 30 questions, make sure that you know how to answer all of them so that if they come up, you can quickly recall in your mind what the answer to the question is, and then boom, spit it out in an articulate fashion. Or if you're not good at that, then you can have an outline in front of you. Just reference that outline to remind yourself how to answer that question, but don't just read from a script. Unless I guess you're actually reading the questions that you're getting, because then you're going to want to read those exactly. All right, so frequently asked question number 16. What improvements, repairs, upgrades have already been done to the property? So not necessarily asking what you're doing. They want to know what's been done already. So if that's the case, then outline the interior and exterior improvements made by the current owner. You don't want to make a list of everything they've done since they bought the property 15 years ago. What's more relevant is what they've done in the past few years. Just because those are things that you aren't going to have to most likely address or touch unless the current owner or the current property management company was neglectful and did not keep up with the deferred maintenance on those new items. Let's say, for example, they upgraded the clubhouse and they replaced 80% of the roofs and they, I don't know, renovated 50% of the units. Then let them know that. And then also, this is not necessarily what they're asking, but let them know how much extra in rent they are getting as a result of those upgrades. So you can say, hey, they replaced 80% of the roofs, so we're going to replace the remaining 20%. We also don't need to touch the clubhouse because they've just spent a million dollars renovating the clubhouse and the business center and they put a sauna in there or whatever. Also, they spent $6,000 per unit in interior innovations to half the units and they're able to demand $150 rental premium. We actually plan on doing above and beyond that and investing an additional $1,500 into each of those units and then $7,500 into the remaining 50 units and we're still only projecting a $100 rental premium. Boom. 17. What is the overall project strategy timeline? What is the exit strategy? So obviously you can point them to the spot in the investment summary as well as once they get the PPM, the spot in the PPM that goes over your strategy and the timeline. So right here, they essentially want to know when's the close and then when's the sale. And then in between there, what are some of the major milestones? Like when do you expect to have the renovations done? When do you expect to actually have your rental premiums in place? When do you expect to have the property stabilized from a vacancy perspective? When am I going to get my distributions? When am I going to get my investor updates? Is there going to be any kind of supplemental loan or refinance at some point? When's that going to come in? So this really depends on the business plan. So obviously you want to hit on when you plan on selling. So you know, five years, seven years, 10 years, maybe explain why. Also explain if you plan on refinancing or if you plan on obtaining a supplemental loan. And then also mention, and we've talked about this numerous times, mention that you're not including those in the return projections. So you're not going to see a 40% catch-to-cash return in year three because number one, it's technically not a return on investment, but a return of capital. So it's not really a catch-to-cash return. Plus, secondly, to throw off your annualized projections, if you've got 8%, then 9%, and then 40%, and then back to 11%, then they ask, why is the year three the best? And so why aren't you just selling at year three? Thirdly, if you don't do the refinance, then your return projections are going to be thrown way off as well. You can also maybe explain to them how you're calculating your sales proceeds. 
So you plan on selling at this time. Maybe you'll do refinance at year three, but you're not including that in the projections. Year five, you plan on selling at this cap rate. This is the cap rate you expect. It's higher than the cap rate we're buying it at. And here's how much money we expect to make at that point. Now, something else you can mention in this section is if you would consider selling the asset early. We'll learn this a little bit later on in syndication school. We talk about the asset manager's duties after you've acquired the property. But one thing that you want to do, kind of sneak peek, one thing you want to do is consistently evaluate the market. Not every day, not every week, but maybe every few months. And just take a look and see what similar properties are going for from a cap rate or a pre perspective to see if it makes sense or if you hit your IRR goal sooner if you sell at year three or year 1.5 or year four or sometime earlier. Because remember, IRR is tied to time. So if I give you a thousand bucks tomorrow, it's worth more than me giving you a thousand bucks two years from now. So if you can sell for the same price a year early, then technically getting that money now is worth more than getting that money in the future. Question number 18, what is your ideal investor's investment strategy? So since we are value at investors, then the ideal passive investor would be someone who wants the monthly cash flow that comes from a value ideal, deal, a monthly cash flow from day one. And they also are interested in getting the potential for pretty big upside at either a finance and or at the sale. If you're a distressed investor, then you're going to want a passive investor who is willing to forego the monthly cash flow in return for a large upside at sale or at refinance whenever the construction is done. So they don't necessarily need cash flow for a few years. Plus, they're willing to risk all of that capital being gone for the potential for those huge gains. The project fails. And if you're a turnkey investor, these people just want to beat the market. They want to invest their capital into a deal that's already stabilized. They don't have to worry about renovations. They don't really care about getting a large profit at sale. All they want to do is get 3 4 5 6% return on their capital each year. So depending on your business plan, depends on what you're doing, who your ideal investor is. Number 19, do I, so again, this is from the perspective of the passive investor, do I have to stay in the deal the entire time or can I sell my interest? So this is going to depend on how you dictate terms with your investors, but generally you have a clause that allows limited partners to sell all of their shares to a third party that needs to be qualified by the GP. So let's say I am investing in one of Joe's deals and I want to sell early for some reason. I can go tell Joe, Hey, I want to sell early. And he can say, well, you need to find someone else to invest with. Then we need to qualify that person and make sure they actually have the money before we give you your money back. Or it could be dictated in another way. But generally speaking, investing in apartment syndication is not liquid. You can't just demand your capital back the next day or the next week or early because it's locked in. And really the only way to return to that capital is to take that capital from somewhere else, which means that the deal will be at risk if you have to return a large chunk of capital to someone. So you want to go ahead and make that be known up front, but also let them know if there is a process in place for them to sell their shares, what that process is and where they can find that information, which is generally somewhere in the private place of memorandum, the PPM. 20, what is the funding schedule? So ideally you have this in the initial email you've sent to your investors. So essentially it's the day after this call until we're filled up or until a week or whatever. But typically it'll be, especially if you're just starting out, the time people can officially begin wiring funds once the PPM is created because that's just where the instructions for wiring are. But as long as you have that done before the conference call or if you have the bank account set up already, the funding date can start at that point. It really depends on what you want to do. 
just make sure that investors know when they can send you money. Because the worst thing is if someone comes to you and says, hey, I'm ready to wire you funds. Like, oh, well, it's not for another week. And then they don't end up investing because they forget or something else happens. For Joe's deals, he wants to see what 100% of the money in the account at least 30 days before closing. But again, if this is your first deal, suck me the case. You might be scrambling on your way to the closing table to get those last few $50,000 commitments in order to close on the deal. Question number 21, how will I be able to stay updated on the project after closing? So generally, you're going to want to send your passive investors monthly recap emails that recap essentially what happened at the property over the past month. So for us right now, we're in the month of July. So we're beginning to put together our June recap emails where we can include things like occupancy rates, pre-lease occupancy rates, number of units we've renovated thus far, how many we renovated last month. What rental premiums are we getting on those? What are some resident appreciation parties we're doing? In the beginning of our business plan, what exterior CapEx projects are going on? When's the playground equipment being delivered? When's the pool furniture being delivered? When's the clubhouse going to be renovated? Things like that. And then we also, on a quarterly basis, provide the financials, so the profit and loss statement, as well as the rent rolls. And then we'll provide some piece of information about the market. So maybe a new Fortune 500 company just moved five minutes away from our properties. You can include that information, all the information, some of the information, additional information. But at the end of the day, you want to be sending something to your investors on a monthly basis. The worst thing you can do is just take their money and then never talk to them again. <laughs> Especially if you're doing quarterly distributions. You might just want to do quarterly updates. But again, it's much better to do monthly updates because you can address potential problems much sooner. Heck, you might even want to host conference calls every single year to go over the deals. It's really up to you. But you want to do something and then let them know if they ask that question, what you'll be doing. Question 22, when will the distributions begin? Again, this is completely up to you. For us, we usually send out the distributions at least a minimum of 30 days after the closing date, kind of depending on when we close. So let's say today is the 2nd of July. So if we were to close today, then we would most likely send the first distribution by the end of August. And it would cover the time we own the property in July. Now, if we closed July 30th, then we wouldn't send a distribution for one day at the end of August. We would most likely send a deferred distribution at the end of September. And it would cover the days we own the property in July and in August. If we do monthly, if you're doing quarterly, obviously that'll be different. It might be the month after the quarter ends. If you're doing annual, then it might be in February. It really depends. You want to make sure that you've consulted with your property management company because they're likely going to be the ones that are doing the distributions and make sure that the frequency, the timing is all aligned with what they can actually do. 23, can I review a projected return scenario? So essentially they want to know if I invest $100,000, how much money are you projecting me to make? Which is why you want to include that $100,000, that million dollar, if you're a baller, a $10 million ROI sample. So it'll say, okay, so you invest your $10 million, year one, your cash on cash return is 8.9%, so you'll make $890,000. Year two is this, you make this much money. Year three, boom, four, boom, five, boom, at sale, boom. Overall, here's how much money you're going to make. Here's your return on investment. Here's your equity multiple. Again, technically, people could just make through that calculation themselves, but it's much easier if you give them a sample calculation with actual dollar figures and not just the percentages. Because you might have... People that like math or are good at math investing in your deals. All right, 24. How do you do renovations with people currently living there? So that's a really good question. So obviously, if you're doing distress and you're buying properties that are entirely vacant, and then 
you might not get this question, but you're telling your investors that you plan on doing all these renovations to the interiors. You're going to replace appliances and floors and paint walls. So how the heck are you going to do this without evicting people? How are you going to do this without having to wait until their leases end? So again, you can do whatever you want, but a few strategies that you can do is number one, obviously when their lease ends, you can renovate the unit and then release it to someone else at that new rate. That's one. Number two is obviously you can just go in there right away and renovate all the vacant units. That's another option. Also, if someone's living there, you can either, depending on the level of renovations and how long they'll take, you can do it while they're at work. Or let's say there's 10% of the units are vacant. You renovate all 10% and then you offer those units to someone who's already living there. So then 10% of those people move into other units or maybe only 5% do. So there's 5% more of the units you can actually renovate. And you kind of keep doing the same thing and eventually you'll be able to renovate all the units by either that method or people moving out from their lease ending. If you really don't know what to do, because obviously your management company is going to be responsible for, for this. So if you don't know what to do, well, well, first of all, you're going to want to confirm with your management company that they're able to do the renovations. Because they're not, then you're probably going to want them to find someone else. Or at least that they're able to manage the renovations. Um, but also let them know your plan. Say, hey, I want to do all the vacant units within the first 30 days. And then I want to offer those units to people who already live here at a reduced rent premium than what you would do otherwise. Or just the same rent premium. And then once they move out, I want to do theirs. I see that 30% of units, their leases are ending in three months, four months, and five months. So we'll hit those there and then. Like, what do you think about this business plan? Or you can say, hey, private management company, what should we do? <laughs> and they might be able to give you some advice as well. 25, and this is the last general FAQ. Can you please discuss the tax benefits for the deal? So obviously people are in, in interested in investing in real estate because of the tax benefits. At this point, you can say that most likely the depreciation um, unless you're doing some sort of accelerated depreciation, like a cost segregation, the depreciation each year is going to be greater than the distributions that are sent out. So they most likely will not have to pay taxes on those ongoing distributions. However, they will have to pay capital gains tax on the sales distributions. So let them know that, but then mention that, hey, I'm not a CPA, so this is just kind of high-level discussion. If you want more specifics based off of your current situation, make sure you speak with your CPA. We got five more questions to go. Then we'll wrap up this first ever video syndication school episode. And these are now moving into the property dependent or deal dependent questions. So these are questions that come across on a deal by deal basis. So 26, what is the most likely risk with the property? So if you remember in the previous episodes, probably parts four and five and six, we said that the main three risk points of a apartment syndication is the deal, number one. Number two is the team. And number three is the market. So the entire conference call surrounding why it's a good deal and a good market managed by a good team. Now, there might be some other specific risk to this property that is not covered by those three. I guess technically it should be covered by the deal, but if there's any unique risk for this deal, maybe there's a risk of some new development. Here's an example. This isn't really a, a syndication example, but... I buy a duplex in a in an up and coming market. It wasn't the greatest area, but it was a pretty cheap deal and it would cash flow well. So he bought it. And then two years later, they literally built a warehouse. You could almost touch it out the living room window. And so it was this massive three story windowless metal sheet at the side of their house and just towering over the house. So that might be a risk. Maybe there's some sort of development that's proposed that might be coming to the area. Maybe there's also a history of flooding. I can't think of any other specific examples, so that's why it's dependent. If there's some specific risk that's specific to this property, make sure you bring that up. 
and then communicate that to your investors. 27, what is the current vacancy rate? So mention that the current vacancy rate is listed on the rent roll. Maybe let them know how current the rent roll actually is. Because typically, if you're still the same rent roll when you're underwriting the deal, then it's probably two, three, four months behind. And then also explain to them that, hey, I don't care as much about what the current vacancy rate is because here are our vacancy assumptions and here's why these are our vacancy assumptions. 28, how does this deal in terms of projected returns, risk, and purchase price compared with deals in the past? So if you haven't done a deal before, then the answer is <laughs> infinitely better. Now, if you haven't done a deal before, again, it's when you want to rely on your team. So your consultant, any projects or management companies done, your business partner, but if you have, this is a great reason to include the case studies in your investment summary. So you can say, hey, we've done this many deals before in the past. We've actually included the results of those deals in the investment summary. Here's just one example of one of the deals that we did. We projected a 10% annualized return and a 16% IRR at a five-year exit. We actually ended up selling after two and a half years, and the cash on cash return was 12%, and the IRR was 20%. 29, who will be the buyer you're aiming for at the end of the business plan? Again, this is another really good question because a lot of people just focus on underwriting and due diligence and all the things you need to do before you close. And then they also focus on the asset management, but when you actually make the most money is that sale. I know people say, well, you make the money when you buy. Well, yeah, it's because you need to do proper due diligence, but you don't buy it and then get all that profit right away. You, get the, you actually get the profit when you sell. And so they're going to want to know, okay, well, who are you selling this property to? Do you even have an idea of who you're going to sell it to? Or are you just going to hope that someone buys it? So again, this is going to depend on your business plan, but if you're a distressed investor, then you're likely going to be selling your deals to a value-add investor. So you're going to buy the property, stabilize it, but not go above and beyond, and then sell that deal to someone who actually will go above and beyond and make it a turnkey property. If you're a value-add investor, then you are going to be selling to a turnkey investor, maybe some like a family office or some institution that wants to buy properties that are turnkey so they can get cash flows that beat the market. And then also, if you're a value-add investor, you might sell to another value-add investor depending on how much value you add or depending on how the market changes whilst you've had that deal. And then if you're the turnkey investor, you're probably just going to have to sell to another turnkey investor unless you really screw things up. And then you might be selling to a value-add or a distressed investor. But I guess you could sell it to a value-add investor too if the market changes and now was a turnkey now needs to be upgraded. And then lastly, question number 30. Are you and your partners putting money in the deal? So we strongly recommend for alignment of interest purposes, the people on the GP put money in the deal. They have skin in the game. Because if not, then sure, if the deal goes sour, you're not going to make money, but you're also not going to lose money either. I mean, there's an opportunity cost, but you're not going to lose any of your own personal capital. Whereas if you've invested at least the minimum investment amount into the deal and the deal goes sour, then you're going to lose that capital. So that will make your investors feel more confident and comfortable investing with you as opposed to someone who's not really exposed to the same level as risk as them, which again, in the eyes of the investors, you may be perceived as not being super confident in the deal and just trying to make a quick buck. I guess it's actually a nine step process to the successful conference call because you got to close. You can't just end on that last Q&A question, drop the mic and hang up. So once you've answered all the questions on your list, you can go ahead and conclude the call by thanking everyone for participating and let them know that they can email you any additional questions they might have once the call has concluded. Maybe they, for some reason, didn't get their question to you or something comes up in bed while they're staring at the ceiling. It happens to all of us. Then you'll let them know the process for submitting those. 
And then also let them know that you plan on sending out a recording of the conference call in the next day or the next few days, which is why we use freeconferencecall.com because that allows us to record our conference call. And then right when it's done, we can download the MP4 and create a new email to send out to investors. They link to that. And then also let them know about the next steps for investing. So if that's, if you're interested in investing, please email us the amount as well as if you're investing as an individual or an entity to info at theohicks.com. So from there, we're going to end up there for today, but from there, the next steps, the next parts of the process for securing commitments from your passive investors are to follow up and then is to send the proper documentation so that you can finalize these investments from your passive investors. So we're going to talk about that tomorrow. Until then, make sure you listen to parts one through six, as well as the other syndication school series about the how-tos of apartment syndication. And make sure you download those free documents. All those can be found at syndicationschool.com. Thank you for listening, and I will talk to you tomorrow. If you own a rental property, TransUnion Smart Move can help you identify the right renter from the start so you can avoid the problems of non-payment or evictions. Don't put yourself at risk. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. With TransUnion Smart Move, you'll get great reports, great convenience, great tenants. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work-week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com.